You are listening to the Bellator Christi podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristi.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. That didn't come along until much later. Uh, in fact, uh, a lot of times I, I think that there becomes problems when we go just strictly by the chapters and verses because we sometimes miss connections that the authors give. And in fact, this is one of those cases. Uh, I never noticed the connection between Barnabas and, the, and the, it's Ananias and Sapphira that we read about in chapter 5. There's, a, there's almost a, a positive effect we see and then there's a negative effect we see a positive in Barnabas and negative in Ananias and Sapphira. But today we want to talk about uh, the personal power of the Holy Spirit in the church. All throughout the book of Acts, we learn about the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit is taking this mission that Christ has established, moving forward, onward and forward and upward, as the church seeks to do uh, the ministry of God. So we want to invite everyone who can and is able to turn with us Acts chapter 4, verse 32, and we're going to read uh, through chapter 5, verse 11. Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through chapter 5, verse 11. And we're talking about the personal power of the Holy Spirit in the church. We see that uh, in verse 32, it says, Now when the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Now remember, 
in weeks, previous weeks, we've been talking about how the early church leaders came in, came in trouble uh, when they were preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. The religious authorities of that day and time, they didn't want to hear that out in the public square. So they threatened them. They came back, they prayed that they would have boldness. So here they are, in the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they all had, they had all things in common. They did this freely. And in fact, there's a reason why they pulled their resources together that we'll find out here in just a few moments. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was given upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or of houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, otherwise known as Joseph, uh, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, that is, the son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession... And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God." Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the, Holy, the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your powerful Holy Spirit. And we just ask, Lord, that through that Holy Spirit, that you would allow me to speak the words that need to be spoken, Hold back any words that don't need to be spoken, so that in and through it all, Lord, that we would have our eyes open, that we may see, our ears open, that we may hear, and our hearts open, that we may accept and apply these things and be better for it. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I was talking to John not long ago. I, I took about uh, the electrical field. Well, I was, uh, I was working at, at uh, Unify. I was, uh, they had a positions open in the electrical field, and they said they would pay for, for me to go get training in the, you know, as an electrician. I wasn't very good at it, but I, I did it anyhow for, for hopes that I'm getting this, uh, this other position there at the company. Well, during the process of that program, I went to, uh, they, they took everybody to uh, Danville, Virginia. There's a hydroelectric plant there. It's beautiful territory. I mean, up in the mountains, beautiful area. And they have this uh, power plant. That, there's nothing spectacular about the plant itself. It's a brick building. I think maybe, what, two, maybe three stories or something of that sort. 
they have uh, the Dan River flows through this building, and, and the water turns these turbines, which generate the electri- electricity. And I uh, remember they, they took us through this power plant, and there were certain areas of the power plant where we could not go. Any, no one can go without special equipment because the voltage is just so strong there, it would arc off and strike a person. It was so strong. I remember they took us down, and I'm not one who's a very good swimmer, I'll be honest. They took us in the river and to one of the inactive turbines, which wasn't turning. There was one that was flowing, and I heard the rushing, the roaring of the water flowing through this turbine. And here we go under this huge turbine, looking up, and there's water dripping from the turbine. And I'm thinking all the while, boy, I hope they don't turn this thing on. This would be a bad day. And so I didn't stay under that thing very long. I got out of there as quickly as I could. But it was amazing to hear the buzzing and and just even almost feel the electricity flowing through that place as it was. Uh, Beloved, we have a power in our lives when we come to faith, when we come to Christ, we have a power greater than that electricity at the power plant that day that we experienced that day. We have a power in the church when we come together as the body of Christ in one mind, in one accord, we have a power greater than the power there at that power plant. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, when He starts moving, when He starts blessing, He'll do three things in our lives and even in the church. We'll find that He provides unity, He'll provide charity, and He'll also provide purity in the process of what He does in our own personal lives, and in the lives of the church. So let's take a look at these three points as we move through this. We do encourage you to follow along with us in the insert of your bulletin. In verses 32 through 35, we see that the Holy Spirit shows His personal power in unity, in the unity. Now what we find the early church doing in verses 32 through 35 is they come together, they're of one mind and they're of one accord, and they pool their resources together. Now again, don't think that they're promoting a certain type of political uh, system because that's not what they're all about. They're doing this freely because they're the family of God. They're pooling their resources together. And in fact, I didn't know this until I started studying this, that the reason, there was a reason for them pooling their resources together. Because in the church, you had people of different socioeconomic backgrounds. You had some who could sustain themselves, and that wasn't a problem for those folks. But you had some in the church, you had some in the early church that day, who didn't have anything. You had some widows who were coming to faith who were being ostracized by their family. They were being ostracized by their communities. You had some who were servants and slaves in the community. They had nothing. And uh, by their commitment to Christ, what ties they had were being severed because they focused their attention, their worship, their adoration to Jesus Christ. So the whole process of the early church pooling their resources together was because they were unified. They were unified. They were unified by the direction of the Holy Spirit. And by doing so, by being united together, they experienced two great things. Number one, they experienced great power by the Holy Spirit. We see that in verse 33. It says, With great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. God, when God empowers our message, it's a unified message. We don't splinter off into different details when we focus on the primacy of the gospel. When we focus, when we make the main things, the main things, we are united together in what we say. In fact, I was talking with a person not long ago, 
And I said, even though there are many different denominations, even though there are many different branches of Christianity, if they are orthodox in their theology, the basic tenets of their beliefs will be the same. That we believe that God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was, uh, was uh, crucified, died and was uh, buried and was resurrected on the third day, who ascended into heaven, uh, from, from whence uh, He shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the forgiveness of saints, the resurrection of the dead, and of life everlasting. Amen, as the Apostles' Creed tells us. Those are the fundamentals of the faith. And when we are united together on those primacy, the primacy of those doctrines, beloved, we can come together, we can be united, and there's great power in our message. Number two, we experience, they experience the great grace or favor of God. Uh, from the power and grace ex experienced by the community, no one was needy. They didn't make the material possessions the main thing in their lives. They made the primacy of the gospel the main thing in their lives. They cared for one another. They made sure that no one did without. They made sure that no one in their community uh, had any need that was not being met. And beloved, what, let me just tell you, they didn't have to have all these social programs because the church itself was a social program. They were going out. They were ministering to others in the name of Jesus Christ. They were helping those in need, and they didn't turn anyone away because of that. Beloved, we could learn a lot from the early church, couldn't we? By the unity that they experienced of the Holy Spirit, they, they experienced this unity and came together to proclaim and minister to the world we also, I, yeah, I, I've mentioned before the theatrical performance that Grayson had in Beauty and the Beast, and I was amazed at, uh, at Virginia and I were even talking about this the other night, just amazed how they were able to get together, united as they were. Everyone had their part. Everyone sang together. Everyone did their part in the play. Everyone had their role. But when they came together and they were unified with one mission, it was absolutely phenomenal. And beloved, I would tell you the same thing goes for the church. When we can be united with one mind and one accord, one spirit, one salvation, one Savior, one God, there's nothing that can stand in our way. Amen? There's nothing that can stand in our way. While praying for Jerusalem, David prays that Jerusalem would be built as the city should be, solidly united, he says in Psalm 122.3. When praying for all of us, Jesus asked the Father that we would be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, the world, that the world may believe that you sent me. The church, when we are united by the Holy Spirit, we can enjoy united fellowship we work together, and we will be empowered by the Spirit's unity among us. But we also see number two, the Holy Spirit shows His personal power in charity. And by charity, I'm talking about having a giving heart. And we see the, ins the inspiration of Barnabas. You know, all of us are going to serve an example in one way or the other. I really believe this. We see this through the Bible. Either we're inspirations of what to do, or examples of what not to do. We see that in the Bible. The Bible doesn't pull any punches when it records uh, the inspirational stories of some individuals and the what not to do of other individuals. We see an example of charity in this man by the name of Joseph Barnabas. Joseph was his real name. Barnabas was his nickname. The, the, the name Bar in Aramaic and Hebrew means son. Nabos means encouragement. Uh, he is the son of encouragement or even the son of refreshment. 
Now we see two things that, that's in the text that we see implicitly in the text. One thing is that Barnabas was a Levite from Cyprus. Cyprus was an island country in the Mediterranean Sea just northwest of Israel. But we also see that he was a Levite. And I, it had not even dawned on me till I studied this passage of Scripture this week. Levites, while they weren't able to own land in Old Testament days, although there were exceptions, in Jesus' day they could. And in fact, the Levites of Jesus' day were known for two things. They were extremely well-educated, and they were very blessed financially. Now, Barnabas comes to this church that's struggling. They have many people in their community that's struggling to make ends meet, and he blesses them with a gift that just rocks their world. <laughs> this is one of the reasons that Barnabas is listed in Scripture as prominently as he is. He comes in, he receives Christ, and he, and he gives this gift upon the church. They are completely blessed by this. And he blesses the church by his financial contribution to the church. Beloved, I want to say to you today that there are many people behind the scenes here at Huntsville Baptist Church and in every church across the nation who give of their time and who give of their efforts, who give of their finances, many of whom go unnoticed. But I want to tell you, God knows. Amen? God knows, and I believe there are many a people sitting in the pews here today. You've given a lot of your time. You've given a lot of your money. You've given a lot of your efforts my, while most of us may not know, God does, and He's going to bless you for that one day. Amen? He, amen? He's going to bless you for that. But Barnabas, he was an encourager. He was an encourager financially by the gifts that he gave, but he was also an encourager by, by, the, by his, uh, his persona, by who he was. Uh, he was given the name Barnabas for a reason, because Barnabas was an encouraging person. He encouraged everyone he came across. Beloved, we, we can always look at the black side of life or we can look at the positive side of life. Amen? And, and I, you know, I, I, I was telling Jennifer, Patsy and I had a wonderful conversation Friday night and we were talking about how important it is to look at the optimistic side of life, the, the, the good things of life, and focus on the blessings of God. And, and bless her heart, she's been going through tough times, but even through it all, she's able to give the blessings to the Lord. And what a testimony that is to her. Amen? Now, come on, that was weak. Amen? Amen? And how true it is that we need to look at the bright side of life because we have the joy of the Holy Spirit. But Barnabas, understand this, as we go through Acts, we're going to see if it had not been for Barnabas, Paul would have never had his start in ministry as he had. It was because of Joseph Barnabas that the Apostle Paul took off the way he did and was given the opportunity to minister and be who God called him to be. But I, I tell you, not only do we need to give of ourselves ch charitable deeds, but we also need to give of ourselves words of encouragement to one another. Folks, this is a dark and dreary world. Amen? This is a dark and dreary world. And if we give a word of encouragement to someone, you just never know what a benefit that's going to do to someone's life. In fact, I believe it was John and Faith was t were telling me uh, at the Bible study, they were telling the Bible study this past week of a story that's online. I, I'm assuming it's true. If it's not, there are many other stories that would verify the, the same truth. But there's a story of this individual who is a valedictorian at his high school class. And he's giving this speech and, and uh, talking about the friendship of this individual who had befriended him many years ago. And he said that the day that this individual came and befriended him, gave him a kind word, was the very day that he was planning to take his own life. 
If it had not been for that individual giving a kind word, doing a kind deed to him, he would not have been there at that high school graduation. He certainly wouldn't have been the valedictorian, and he would not have been giving the address that he did. Beloved, I say again, you never know what type of impact it's going to have on someone's life by giving someone a word of encouragement. They may be struggling in some way, in some form or fashion, but to give someone a word of encouragement, it's like refreshing waters in a, in a des, desert, desert and di, uh, desolate land. A dry and desolate land is what I'm trying to say. It's like refreshing waters in a dry and desolate land. It's, it's, uh, it's like that cool ice cream cone on, an, on a hot summer day. It's refreshing to us. It get, keeps us going, and you'll never know what God will do with a kind word given to someone. Amen? And I believe we as a church, we need to encourage one another. We can either look at the glass as half empty or we can look at it as half full. Or we can even look at the blessings that there's even a glass there at all with any liquid in it whatsoever. The, the point is, is we need to strive to be like Barnabas. We need to strive to be children of encouragement, seeking to encourage others around us. And that is in and of itself uh, a, a, a way that we can be charitable. The, in the book of Acts, the term encouragement is listed at least 13 times. In Romans 1.12, Paul says, Be uh, mutually encouraged by one another's faith, both yours and mine. He tells the Corinthian church to become mature, encouraged, of the same mind, be at peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you, 2 Corinthians 13.11. Paul says to the Philippians, If there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, Philippians 2, 1-2. A kind word goes a long way, and we never will know the extent of how someone could be blessed, I believe, until we get on the other side and see the whole picture displayed in front of us. Last but certainly not least, where there's the good in Barnabas, we see the bad in Ananias and Sapphira. I believe the Holy Spirit shows his personal power also in purity. He purifies his people. And, and this is something that, listen, under, understand when God, the Holy Spirit of God convicts us of something, it's meant to be for our good, not for our detriment, but it's meant to purify us. Because here's the, here's the simple truth of it all. When Jesus saves us, he doesn't save us to leave us as we are. He saves us so that we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds, as the Scripture tells us. The Bible also tells us that in salvation, there's a three-step process to it. We have been saved. That's justification. We are being saved, which means that we're consistently being transformed in the image of Christ. That's sanctification. And one day we will be saved when, Christ, when, uh, when we experience the bliss and glory of heaven. That's glorification. That's all part of the salvation process. Luke adds, where he adds a positive example in Barnabas, he tells about Ananias and Sapphira. Now, here, here's the point we have to understand. The disciples, they weren't it wasn't mandatory that they sell everything and bring it to the community. So the question is, what was the fault of Ananias and Sapphira? What did they do wrong? Well, very simple. They lied. I believe they would have been just fine if they had sold half their property, kept half of it, and, and said, we sold our property, we're giving you half of the proceeds, Peter, to use for the church. I think they would have been just fine, my own personal opinion. 
But here's the problem. Here's what I believe happened. They lied. They said, we sold, and we're giving you all the money that we have here from the property, when really they gave them probably just, what, half, maybe even a quarter. Who knows how much it was, Scripture doesn't say. That was the problem because they had not lied. They were not only lying to Peter and the early apostles, they were lying to the Holy Spirit. And Peter notes that by lying to the Holy Spirit, they were in fact lying to God. Now, why did they do this? That's a good question. I, I don't know. Maybe they saw the example of Barnabas, and they said, well, look at all the attention Barnabas is getting. We want that same attention for ourselves, so we're going to say we sold it all, just give them just a little bit. Maybe it was pride that entered in. It, I also believe that Satan was trying to undermine the work of the church uh, th through this lying campaign of Ananias and Sapphira. But this brings us to an important truth, beloved, that the Holy Spirit purifies the people of God. In Daniel's prophecy, Daniel 12.10, God tells uh, Daniel that in the end, many will be purified, cleansed and refined, like metal refined in a, in a fire, uh, purified, so will the people of God. But he says, the wicked will act wickedly, none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. James says that the believer, we spoke about this the other night in Bible study, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, double-minded, James 4.8. Hebrews 9.14 says that the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, will cleanse, us, cleanse our consciousness from dead works so that we can serve a living God. Here's the point. In the Reformation, there, there was this guy, Martin Luther. You've probably heard of Martin Luther. He's a great reformer. Martin Luther was this big and brawny man. But he had an associate who was very intelligent. His associate was named Philip Melanchthon. And this Philip Melanchthon was the exact opposite of Martin Luther. Martin Luther was big and brawny. Philip Melanchthon was a wee little fella. But he was a very intelligent man. And he, says, he said this, something to this effect. He said, we are, we are saved by grace through faith. But that grace through faith that saves us transforms us. If it doesn't transform us, then it's not a genuine faith. Because Christ doesn't leave us the way we are. He comes in, he transforms us, he cleans house, so to speak. And by doing so, we have to understand that God doesn't want just a little bit of you. He doesn't want just a little bit of me. He wants all of us, amen? He wants every morsel of our being. He wants us from the head to the toe and everything in between. He wants our whole being, and that's what it means to allow Jesus to be the Lord of our lives. And in so doing, understand this very important truth. That in so doing, God will have to purify His children. That means sometimes He has to cut us from certain things. Amen? He has to cut away certain things in our lives that are, that are, that are, uh, that are just nasty in our lives. He has to cut those things away. That's why Jesus says, if your right eye offends you, pluck it out. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. He's not saying that literally. He's saying that metaphorically. He's saying that if there's something in your life that's standing between you and God, get rid of it. Amen? That's what the Holy Spirit does. If there's something in your life that is not honoring to Him, we need to cut it off. Get rid of it because, let me tell you, sin is like a cancer. Amen? I, read, I heard this past week on, uh, on a news station where they, had the, they were interviewing this doctor and they were talking about the rise of colon cancer, and especially among men here lately, the rise of colon cancer. And, and they were saying that uh, obviously diet can help and, and different things can help. 
But a lot of times it's affected, he said, by genetics. Uh, sometimes it's affected by environmental uh, circumstances that we can't control. But he said the number one thing that we all can do is to get screened early. That's the number one key to fighting cancer, he said. Early detection. The quicker you can catch it, the quicker you can get rid of it, the quicker you can get rid of it, the better it is for your body and for your system. Beloved, sin is the same way. The Holy Spirit is that surgeon in our lives. He gives us red flags. When there's something in our lives that's not honoring to him, he gives us those red flags. And he simply, he's, he's doing those procedures on our soul and on our heart and on our minds. And if there's something in our lives that's not honoring to him, he, he, he's standing with the knife ready to cut it away. Ready to cut it away. But it says that gentleman said the other day in uh, VBS, a lot of times what we'll do is instead of standing for the Lord, we start slipping away to the way the devil wants us to do. Understand when God purifies us, it's not always comfortable. It's not always easy. But understand it's for our benefit. Because in the end, when he cuts that cancerous sin, that whatever that thing is in our lives is taking us down the wrong road, we will be much healthier in the end. We will be a blessing to Christ. We'll be a benefit to his kingdom. And in the end, he will strengthen us and he will use us to do great things for his honor and for his glory. Amen? That's what the Holy Spirit does. He cuts that stuff away from our lives. But we have to let go of it. We have to let go of it. Carl Vaders writes for Christianity Today in an article dated September of 2016. He asked the question, uh, he, he asked the question about, you know, about small churches. Uh, why do small churches not grow? And he says, quite honestly, sometimes it's God's will. God uses small churches in ways that uh, we, we can't even fathom. He says you can take a church of 10, uh, you can take one big church, they may minister to 10,000 people, but you take 1,000 small churches, they'll serve over 100,000 people. Uh, there, there are many great ministries that have come from small churches. God does great things through small churches. But he says the most important thing that we have to do, if we're in a small church, large church, whatever size church, is to examine the health of our church and to make sure that we are united, make sure we are, we are charitable. And, I, and I'm applying this to the message here. He doesn't say this, applying this to the message I think that we see through Scripture, make sure we're united in the bonds of Christ, that we're charitable, we're doing the things that Christ has us to do, and we accept the purifying work of the Holy Spirit as He refines us, He molds us, He makes us into the image of Christ. And beloved, by doing that, there's no telling what God will do through us and through our community of faith uh, by, by simply giving those things over to Him. So three simple things I'd ask you to evaluate in your own lives as we depart this morning. Number one, how can I better serve? How, how can I better bring unity in the church and with fellow believers? What can I do? Now, if we leave it for someone else to do, it'll never get done. Amen? Isn't that the way it goes? But what can I personally do to build unity in the church? Number two, what can I do to show the love of Christ this week? Maybe God, as we were talking about this, maybe God has placed someone on your heart and your mind even now as we speak. Someone who needs a word of encouragement. Maybe there's someone you know who's struggling, and maybe they need help in some degree. Maybe you want to reach out and help that person to some way, in some way. Maybe that's what God is wanting you to do from this message or take from this message. Again, a kind word, it'll do, it'll do numerous things. It'll have great benefits if we'll simply give a kind word. And third, what areas of our lives, what area of my life needs to be purified? 
Is there something in my life that's standing between me and my relationship with God? Evaluate that in your own heart and your mind, even now as we close in our final prayer. Ask yourself, what way can I build unity? What way can I express the love and charity of Christ this week? And how, what areas of my life need to be purified by the Holy Spirit? God will show it to you, I really believe, even in this time of invitation. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me say first and foremost, if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, let me encourage you to come down and receive Him before it's eternally too late. This is what we mentioned to the kids this past week in our vacation Bible school. Many, Satan will tell us all kind of lies. He'll, he'll tell you that you're not loved. John 3.16 tells us otherwise, doesn't he? <laughs> Satan will tell you that you can't be forgiven. Romans 10.9 says if you confess, if you believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead and confess him with your mouth, you will be saved, meaning that you will be forgiven. He, he, the devil will tell us that you're never going to accomplish anything, but Philippians 4.13 tells us that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Don't believe in the lies of the devil. Believe in the truth of God. Maybe you're here today and you've never received Christ. I want to encourage you to come and receive him today before it's eternally too late. Maybe you have someone you, you just, who needs prayer and you just want to pray for that person. Maybe you need to come down and pray for that person. Or maybe you, you want to join the ministry of Huntsville Baptist Church. Whatever God is saying and doing in your heart and life, we just encourage you to come and respond to the Holy Spirit of God. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word and what it means to us. And we thank you so much, Lord, that the ministry of the church didn't just end uh, with, with your resurrection and your ascension, but it continues through the active work and ministry of the Holy Spirit even now in 2017 as we are gathered together here in Yakinville, North Carolina, celebrating your truths and worshiping you in spirit and in truth that this ministry of the Holy Spirit is ongoing and continues. Lord, we thank you for that. And Lord, I don't know the reason why this message was brought today, but I know that you do. And we just ask, Lord, that in and through it all, Lord, that you would help us as your people to be united by the Holy Spirit, to be united by our faith, to be united in the Holy Spirit that we would come together, that we would love one another and love those in our communities. And Lord, that you would examine our hearts and our lives if there's anything impure in our lives, that you would cut it away and make us on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Michaela Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childer saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. When I first wrote Evidence That Demands a Verdict, truth wasn't so much an issue as what is truth, can you know truth, but now it is.
some of the issues are different because of the internet, like the claim that Jesus doesn't even exist. Are there other gospels that should have been in the Bible? Is Christianity just a copycat religion? So when we updated this, because I hear it from students so often, I thought we have to have the single best chapter that responds to this claim, and I think we do. We had to rewrite evidence of man's verdict because there's so much new evidence out there. It's like one Greek scholar said, the evidence now for the scriptures is like a tsunami, an avalanche that is hitting, and we want you to be aware of that. We want every young person, every student, every pastor, every professor to be aware of the new evidence out there, to understand not just what they believe, but why they believe it. Evidence that demands a verdict. On sale everywhere, October 3rd, 2017. Go to hashtag true evidence. Hi, Greg Kokel here for Stand to Reason, and at SCR we have always cared about Christianity worth thinking about. And when I found out that the SES conference this year was about pursuing a faith that thinks, I realized that if you go to this conference, you're not only going to have the information you need to deal with people who challenge your convictions, you're going to have the information that will help you deal with the toughest critic you'll ever face, and that's you. That's why I hope to see you there at the SES conference October 13th and 14th in Charlotte, Pursuing a Faith That Thinks. Register now for the National Conference on Christian Apologetics by going to conference.ses.edu. Early bird pricing ends August 1st, so be sure to go and register now. Once again, that's conference.ses.edu. The National Conference on Christian Apologetics 2017, October 13th and 14th at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, pursuing a faith that thinks. We're looking for people from all around this great nation who believe this is a great nation. We're looking for the best and the brightest and people who believe in goodness and honesty and liberty. If we've just described you, enroll in Liberty University. Online, we've been doing it as long as anyone. Our campus, just beautiful. If you believe in liberty, know that liberty believes in you. Liberty University, online or on campus. To find out more, go to liberty.edu or call 855-466-9220.